Live from the bridge at the Launchpad Studios in Huntington, New York, it's Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Cardboard Memories, Clearview, Long Island, the law firm of Decalator, Cohen, and DePrisco, the Phoenix Tube Company, Pims Incorporated, fueling brand performance for 30 years, Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, and Soho Table Hockey. Here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a man who was selected with the 27th pick of the first round by the New Jersey Devils in the 1998 NHL Entry Draft. He made his debut in the 99-2000 NHL season, made history, becoming not only the first Alaska-born player in the NHL, but also the first Latino as well. He would go on to play 16 years in the NHL for the Devils, Rangers, Canadians, Sharks, Panthers, St. Louis Blues, and Ottawa Senators. He also spent time here as an assistant coach for the New York Islanders. He currently is the host of his own web show on YouTube entitled Scotty's House, which focuses on his adventures in his house in Alaska, it is a pleasure to welcome the 99-2000 Calder Cup winner, two-time Stanley Cup champ, Scott Gomez to Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Scott. How you doing? Hey, what's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. Uh, our pleasure. And believe it or not, you're not the first Alaskan-born player to ever be on this show, as Brandon Dubinsky beat you to that. But, you know, that's okay. All right, awesome. so let's start at the beginning. There are two really early turning points for you. One concerns your dad and the cost of a brand-new pair of skates. The other concerns a coach and something he told you at six years old when you were cut from a team. How did those two events help to make you the hockey player you would become? <laughs> well... You know, I wouldn't have played hockey. My dad got me a, a brand new pair of skates, and uh, I didn't. I hated hockey. I, I didn't like it. It was, you know, it's kind of hard. I didn't know how to skate that well, and so my uh, my mom is, you know, she's Colombian. She was definitely like, you can quit tomorrow because I was telling her kids were making fun of me and stuff, and just being a mama's boy. But my uh, my dad gave me the old uh, Gomez speech that, you know, we don't quit. We we stick it out. You know, a bunch of BS, and then. Later on in life, I asked my dad, I'm like, you know, hey, thanks for that uh, that speech, you know, that really uh, that got me going. And he started laughing. He goes, um, he's, do you really believe that? He goes, the only reason why you, uh, he, the only reason why you kept playing because there was no way that money was going to go to waste. You were going to have to finish the year no matter what. So, so I guess, I guess without the old man, I, uh, you know, I, I'm not playing hockey. And then the second one, you know, it was just, we, um, we have two organizations back then in Alaska and I got cut by the, there's mites, my hockey, and I got cut by the first one. And I don't think the coach meant it. He probably just came out wrong. But there's a couple other guys in the room too, and he just kind of suggested that if we uh, if we played other sports to maybe concentrate on that. And I just remember going, "Can you say that as a grown up?" <laughs> but uh, but no, I don't think like you know it, it's it's a story that kind of got taken away. And poor guy had to answer it forever. But uh, <laughs> but uh, it wasn't. It, I think he, we took it as the wrong way. I think he was just trying. You know, we just got cut from a team. I and mean, what do you say? But. Yeah, so those were uh, those are two Alaskan myths stories, I guess. <laughs> so it's interesting because you really start getting noticed and stand out at the Pacific Cup International U18 tournament. You have a huge year for the '96 '97 South Surrey Eagles. You followed up with two more solid seasons in the WHL. The last one under one of the most respected and winningest coaches in WHL history, Don Hay. What was the most important thing you learned from Coach Hay? Uh, you know, when Hay- when Hazer came in, it's. Uh, the year before, you know, I didn't know anything about the WHL. I gave up my college uh, eligibility and I, uh, you know, just, it was kind of a quicker way to the NHL on the path and all that. And I guess I was one of the guys that could do that. But the first year, you know, my first year in the dub, my draft year, I got, uh, I think I got hurt four games into the season 
I went from like a top five pick to you know falling down, and we I think we won like seventeen games or something out of seventy or something crazy. So that next year, Don Hay came in, and uh, yeah, I mean, you talk about at that age and the intimidation, and uh, you know, he brought in it's 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 kind of what we needed. But in saying that, he he also was kind of preparing preparing you how to be a pro, how to act. You know, I mean, one time, you know, even how to dress. I think I was still wearing like Doc Martens with corduroys and a tie or whatever. You know, and uh, and Hazer kind of said, "Hey, you know, you're gonna you're gonna be with the big boys. You got to start presenting yourself more like an NHLer." And and on the ice, I mean, the discipline he brought is it's 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 what we needed. I mean, we made it to the Western Finals and uh, lost, but he, he really. Uh, you know, he, he was a major reason uh, me taking the, the next step. He, he definitely prepared me uh, for what was going to happen in the next level. You know, it's interesting because we mentioned in the open about you being the first round pick of the Devils, 27th overall. It's interesting if you look back of the 26 players drafted ahead of you in that round, only two played in more NHL games or had more points. That would be the number one in, in Vinny LeCavier and number 12 in Alex Tangay. So take us back to draft day and what you remember about it. Well, um, I just remember uh, any kid's dream growing up was uh, just to get on ESPN and go up on the stage and put your arms around, you know, that's the only thing you cared about really. I mean, um, and that, that year our draft was in Buffalo and I don't know what you did decided that uh, each team could have a timeout, which was like three more minutes. So every course, every team took their timeout and uh, the first round went for like two or three hours. And so finally you're just sitting there and you're seeing other guys get picked and, and everyone was still kind of that era looking for like the next Lindros kind of, you know, size, like, you know, five ten. And back then that was considered like, is he big enough? And you just, so there was guys getting drafted for you and you're just like, what? Uh, you know? Okay. And then, uh, finally, uh, I remember I thought I was either going to Dallas or, or uh, Dallas spent a lot of time with me and they had the 27th pick. And then when they traded it, you know, I'm thinking, Oh, you know, you know, that sucks. And then, you know, the devil selected my name and, and we kind of jumped up. And then the only one that didn't was my agents at the time. Cause they were like, they, they kind of said the effort cause they didn't want to deal with Lou. So, they, <laughs> you know, but, but the funny thing about that story was, um, you know, this was before cell phones and all that, uh, I get drafted, go down, do the whole thing. I, I, um, uh, I call my friends that were watch, watching back in Alaska and I'm like, hey, what do you guys think? And they're, you know, what are you talking about? We didn't, I'm like, what do you mean we didn't talk about it? I got drafted by the Devils. And they're like, oh, after the 26th pick, ESPN switched to buck hunting. Oh, so no. one got to, so yeah, so oh. the, only dream, the only dream I ever wanted to do, like, got cut off. So uh, and I always blame that time, the dumb rule of the timeout. I think they got rid of it the next, the next year because, yeah, I extended the first round to like three hours, which was just painful sitting there. But, uh, yeah, it was um, – you know, it's like every dream's kid's dream come true to, to hear your name, and uh, here we go. Oh, that's brutal. Um, so your final year with the Rangers was the first year I actually started covering the team for Inside Hockey. And for me, you always seemed to be that player who was, like, super chill. And I always thought that was because at that point you were a veteran. But there's a great Scott Gomez story about your second NHL game, the first home game, um, and People Magazine and Jennifer Aniston. Do you remember what I'm referring to, and can you share that yeah, with our, our audience? I was, uh, you know, I mean, I was one of those guys, and, and that's what people uh, people don't realize. There's 20 guys in there, and everyone's different. I mean, there's like, you look at Dano, Ken Danico, I mean, this psycho is just thinking about the game. Scotty, everyone. And, you know, Bobby Holik, I sat next to him and Randy. Randy was kind of a character, McKay, but, um, you know, I just remember trying to be in the room, and I'm like, 
God, this isn't me. I don't want to be in this room. And we've still got like 20 minutes to go or whatever it was before warm ups. And I, we had a little lounge area there. And I'm like, well, if I'm going to make this work, I got to be myself. So I just walked out. And as I'm walking out, there was a Jennifer Haniston. Uh, she was on the cover of People. And I was like, you know, not only make the NHL, I, I thought I'd had a chance to date her, I guess. <laughs> if dreams, if you're dreaming that was that bad. But anyway, I just sat down. I started reading the article. And next thing you know, I'm kind of lounging. I'm laying down and uh, I look over the corner of my eye and I see Scotty Stevens come out and he just stops. Like he cannot believe what he's witnessing. And now I'm really like, Oh my God, like I'm probably in trouble. I mean, the captain dad's right there. I'm like, are they allowed to do this? Cause you don't know anything. Like, are you allowed to do this? You know? And he like with his hand, he like, he like motioned like three other guys to come look at me. <laughs> so I'm just sitting there reading a magazine before my first uh, home game at the continental. And, uh, yeah, I just I kind of stuck with it till they kind of left. I put the magazine down and I went to uh, I went to Bobby Holik and Randy McKay because they they were right next to me. And I you know I was like, hey, is that is that against the rules to do that? And they were just dying laughing, like, kid, yay, you get a, hey, you get a, you get ready however you want. I mean, this is uh, you're gonna realize this is pretty tough. So yeah, I wasn't uh, you know I guess my advice to the guys you gonna try to make anything. Hey, be yourself and uh, and plus I wasn't reading the magazine in the room. I thought you know. I was in the lounge area. It was like, I'm not bugging anyone, but uh, they just they couldn't believe it. They thought it was hilarious. <laughs> so your rookie season is one of those magical seasons. As you had 51 assists, 70 points, which makes you the Calder Trophy winner as league's top rookie. You play in the NHL All-Star game and put a cherry on top of that season. You scored 10 points in the playoffs as the Devils win the Stanley Cup with a team that has three Hall of Famers on the team and Scott Niedermeyer, Scott Stevens, and Marty Brodeur. You couple with that with the fact that eight games left in the regular season, your first NHL head coach, Robbie Fatore, is fired and replaced by Larry Robinson. So that's a lot of you know, things to go on for a 19-year-old in year one. What are some of the things that stood out for you in, in that rookie year? Well, I was just, uh, I was actually just logos with Brian Ralston, and uh, Roly was one of the guys that took, kind of took me under his wing early on. And so it was great because, you know, you come from playing juniors and, and growing up, but you're always hanging out with with your friends and now you're in the big leagues where these guys have families and it's not what you think the first month or two is kind of like, you know, boring sort of say, but what, when you realize it's a business was, um, we were playing, forgot who we were playing that night and it was after warmups and next thing you know, there's a different vibe going on in the room and I'm just sitting there like, what, you know, what's going on? And, you know, Roley just got traded to Roley got traded to uh, Colorado and this is right after warmups. And I'm like, they can do that? Like, you know, like, wow. <laughs> and uh, just stuff like that, realizing like, hey, this is a business. I mean, these guys are, and, and the, the greatest thing about falling down in the draft is saying is, you know, I went to an organization where, where, where I mean, these guys were ready, you know, they, they were primed and ready to, to make a run for the cup. So once I was on the team, I remember I, uh, I think I messed up on a game, whatever, it was like game 20. And that's when I met the famous Claude Lemieux and, he kind of grabbed me and, uh, you know, pulled me aside and said, Hey, we need you to, you know, pick it up a little bit. And I gave him an excuse like, well, you know, Pep, I'm just a rookie. This is, you know, thinking that would work. And right away he said, Hey, you're uh, you already had 20 games. That's over with like, we're this team can win the Stanley cup and, uh, you're a part of it. So, you know, basically my excuse never works with Pep. So that, uh, those, those little things in general real made me realize that, um, you know, wow, this is, this is for real. These guys, I mean, this is a business. This is, yeah, you can have your fun. You can do everything. But when number four, Scotty Stevens stepped on the ice for practice and you just followed him, it was amazing. 
and then the education I got from those teams. But but I remember because Bobby Holik was very adamant about you know look at Scotty's at like 36 at the time or 35 whatever it was, and he's still like the hardest working guy and he's our captain. And that just always stuck with me. Like okay, this is how you do it. It's interesting. Over and above those three Hall of Famers that we mentioned, obviously Lemieux and, and uh, Holik were big you know, uh, mentors to you as well. The following season, you make it to the Cup Finals once again. This time, you lose in seven to the Avalanche. The following season, you missed the playoffs due to an injury. Returned to the finals once again the following year, winning your second Cup against the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. So to recap, four years in the league, three trips to the finals, two Cups. Um, those four years, on top of it, four different head coaches, two different ones that you win the cup with. You're only 23 years old. There are players who play their entire careers never getting to a final, let alone win the cup. At that point, did you actually realize how special the start of your career was? Um, yeah, I mean, because like I said, I had great vets that made sure that I understood that this is, uh, you know, don't take this for granted. There's guys that, like you said, there's guys that played 20 years that never got this and and you know, the league was a little older back then, but they were really let me know that, hey, this is something special. I mean, and you also got this out of the way. Uh, or you got it out of the way early, so you're not going to. But and then, you know, also the business aspect of it. Like, hey, you got this out of the way. Uh, this is a business. Now it's, now it's about money. It's about it. It's, there was other stuff that those guys never held back with me. And, um, you know, but as far as I just it was almost getting to the norm because, I mean, it was funny. The Yankees at that time were, were having their run kind of sort of say you're going to the end but i just that's that's how it was like that second year it might sound cocky or whatever but it, it, we knew we were going back to the finals it just was kind of you know obviously it was heartbreak what would happen but yeah i mean our uh our team and just the the guys and the vibe i mean it was just we you'll never realize i remember alex alexander mcgillney told me you'll never realize because he was on different teams and this is all i've known is what it's like to go into visiting buildings and everyone in the arena knows that either way we're going to win this game. And I always kind of laughed about that. But then, you know, later on you go on other teams where you know you don't even got a chance in this building. But that was kind of always our devil's uh, mindset. It's like doesn't matter what the score is. doesn't matter. You know, we're going to get you at the end. I mean, it's just the way that's how our team was kind of bred. And that, you know, I think it was a curse also because, um, you know, I think after made it to the Eastern Conference Finals in Montreal, but, you know, I never really made it that, that close again. And that's once you got a taste of the cup, that's – and you don't, you know, that's all you wanted. That's all you wanted to be a part of is playoffs. And, and uh, yeah, so it was, it was, it works both ways. <laughs> and you talk about the business side of it. The next season's wiped out completely due to the lockout. Uh, you pass up the opportunity to make more money in Europe and you return home to Anchorage, Alaska and play for the Alaska Aces, pretty much becoming the face of the Alaska franchise as well as the ECHL. You lead the league in scoring, one of the league's most valuable players. That season ended early for you as you're seriously injured, sustaining a broken pelvis. So a few questions here. Um, not knowing how long the lockout was going to be, why did you not go for the bigger payday in Europe? And secondly, what was that experience like going to the minors after, at that point, playing close to 400 games in the NHL and winning a Stanley Cup? Well, what happened was is that um, Igor Larionov uh, became really close with him. and He's one of the, you know, he's one of the men one of the biggest mentors, one of the greatest human beings you ever met. And Igor um, wanted me to play for his, uh, his hometown team in Russia. I can't even say the pronounce it. So I'm not going to try. But uh, what happened was, is that I went out to Russia and I went to, I was in Moscow for like two days. And I mean, it was, oh, it was, I was with, I was with Igor. So, I mean, I was like, wow, this is, it's like being, you know, being with Michael Jordan, you know, and I was like, this is going to be great. This is, um, 
and then they kind of showed me where I'd live, which really wasn't Moscow. It was kind of different. I went on the road with the team for like a, a couple weeks or a week. Me and Barry Smith, actually the old coach from the Red Wings. And what happened was I'd already started skating with um, the team back in Alaska. And there was already like six guys that I'd grown up with that were playing on the team. So I already had that vibe, like, you know, man, this is fun. And then when I traveled to Russia, I saw, like, I saw Vinny LeCavier, I saw a couple other guys, and they were just, they didn't really weren't having the time of their lives. It was, it was a different, you know, it was different. I mean, the, the practice, everything, and I just, I was in a situation where, yeah, I didn't need to, you know, I didn't need to go chase, or it wasn't about money. I mean, I, I was fine there. And, yeah, I mean, if I hadn't if I hadn't started skating with Alaska, I probably would have played in Russia, but it worked out. It was a way to give back to the, okay. Yeah, it was a way to get back. It was a way to get back to the community, and uh, like I said, it was we had a. I mean, we had a time of our life. I mean, oh my god, that was. Uh, and then it was my first year away from Lou. Like you know, where where all there is was you know you had, you had some tight rules. Devils were still had a blast, but yeah, it was my first time away from everything, and the town was rocking again. We, um, the I mean, some of my closest friends to this day are. Uh, you know, guys, I played one year with the, with the aces and, uh, it was just a way to get back. It was a way, um, you know, it, it was, it was just a great time. And then at the injury at the end, a guy kind of hit me from behind. I, I went into the boards or in the, into the, uh, into the bench and the gate thing hit me right in the, the pelvis. It was, it was cracked. If it was the NHL, I, you know, I would have, uh, I could have played, you know, they just, I remember laying in the hospital bed and I look over and, the newspaper guys right next to me. I'm like, what? And then, then the rumor was that I broke my, my, my pelvis. I shattered this. And, and I, it was weird because at like, I don't know what time it was. It must, it must've been like two or three New York time. Uh, you know, the coach comes in and hands me the phone and it was Lou. And Lou's like, Hey, <laughs> what, what's going on? And I'm like, you know, nothing. I'm like, this is not, and he's like, okay, well you're done. You know, you you know, it's you know, I understood. It. I was like, yeah, yeah, I got it. But he was just making sure it wasn't what the report was, because yeah, it was like I had a broken pelvis. I was like, what? Like it just was a cracked pubis. And but I mean, the team, uh, you know, we made a run at it, and it was it was great. So July first, two thousand seven, first day of free agency. Rangers make a huge splash, signing you and, and Chris Jury. Um, you know, and. and you were with the Rangers as the early part of themselves reestablishing themselves in identity, first with Tom Rennie, then with Torts, Cali, you know, Stahl, Henrik, all early stages of their career. Then, of course, the ageless Yaramir Agar, who actually scored a goal the other night, uh, and Brendan Shanahan. What are your two years on Broadway like, and what are some of the differences between being a Ranger and a Devil? Well, I was, you know, it was one thing about the New York Rangers. I mean, it's... Uh, and, and all the, you know, Devils the same way, everything, but the Rangers is just, it was the, one of the top organizations you ever, I mean, Sergey Nepchenev used to always tell me just, I mean, first class by all means, everything. They were just, uh, you know, um, I, you can't speak enough of the, the people there. They were, they were tremendous to me. Um, yeah, two years. I mean, you know, played in an all-star game one year. Uh, we made, made some noise in the playoffs and then just, that's what happened. But people don't realize that uh, Philly and Montreal were in the mix too, and the Kings. So it wasn't like it was just the Rangers. It was those. And, yeah. and I wanted, hey, to play in Madison Square Garden. It was uh, one of my favorite rinks. It is a business. Um, you know, uh, I mean, it was, it was different, but it's like anything. Jimmy Dowd gave me, uh, gave me some good advice because I hadn't, I'd just been with the Devils. I hadn't been the new kid in school for a while. And I remember asking Jimmy, I'm like, hey, what do you do? Like, you know, how does this work? And he just goes, hey, man, the cool people find the cool people. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what does that mean? And then he said, he goes, hey, 
good people find good people. He's like, it's going to be take, it'll take a week before you know who you're going to hang around with or this. And, and I mean, living in the city where the guys in the team, it was great. I mean, my two years in New York, I, uh, I can't complain. It was, uh, it was, it was something special. I always cherished to play for the Rangers. So you complete the area hat trick by being an assistant coach with the New York Islanders uh, first year, and then you stay when you know, Trotz comes in and the whole staff uh, is let go with the exception of you. Uh, the Islanders have really good success, but at the end of that season, you stepped away from coaching. Um, any regrets of stepping away? And in the future, do you have any aspirations of getting back and maybe one day being a head coach? I, no, I mean, they, 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 uh, you know, Trotz, you know, they were, they were outstanding. They were, they were great. Uh, you know, I was just uh, put two years in there. Uh, maybe things wanted to change. And I just, hey, I was, uh, I was good. I was good with, uh, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into it. It's great. I mean, the video, just, uh, you know, it's, it's a little different. I think to get the true sense of coaching, I think you have to, you kind of have to be the head coach. I mean, I'm not talking NHL, like even if it was like a junior team or, uh, whatever. I mean, you just, that's when you really realize what it's like, but no, I mean, uh, helping guys out learning, uh, like I said, just knowing how that, uh, you know, the Islanders, uh, you know, that was going to knew right away after my first year, like this team's going to be a good team. There's no question about it. And then obviously with Barzell, the way he, he's taken off, but, uh, no, I just, you know, I, I was fortunate. I've always been, um, you know, I didn't have to, I didn't have to stay there and do that. I, you know, it was time I wanted to try something else. And, um, I never, never, ever say ever, ever, to anything but yeah i mean if if uh you never know get back in the game but as far as that i'm glad i did it i got to see it and uh it was just time for uh you know time for something else i need to be in the rink every day so that's something else brings us to where you are today and that's one of the coolest things that is on the net scotty's house which first premiered july 30th 2020 is a series that focuses on your adventures in your house in alaska how did that idea come about well what happened was is that you know, I was retired. Uh, it was kind of first year. I didn't really have anything, you know, kind of to do. And me and this other uh, guy just had the same idea. We were going to do Alaskan documentaries. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of athletes that have come out of Alaska. Uh, Alaska, like I know the hockey players get all the credit, but you know we have NBA guys, we have uh, NFL guys, tons of Olympians. I mean, it's just you know it's 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 a sports hotbed. So we were going to focus on that. And just like everyone else, the um, you know, COVID happened. We couldn't really interview anyone. Like it was back then where no one knew what was, uh, kind of was going on. But when I used to play, I'd be on the, like the bus and, uh, we'd be passing like a Best Buy or a mall. And I, you know, especially Steve Alicat from the Rangers. And I, I'd, I'd say like, Hey, look at that. See that that's uh that's the size of my house back home. And he'd be like, well, no way. And I'd be like, yeah. Cause everyone thinks Alaska's dirt cheap. And, and I'm like, yeah. And then I go, you know, there's a river and a, a lake that runs in the back and, you know, there's a mountain lion that comes out every three days and, and wakes up the valley. So all these guys are thinking that's, you know, I just always lie about a lot, like just mess with them. <laughs> and, you know, and so, and then I, I'm, I'm uh, got quarantined with, uh, with, with my uh, business partner there and he's a professional camera guy. And I just said, Hey, you want to, let's try something. Might as well try to make people laugh. I mean, everything, everyone was kind of going crazy. And, you know, there's all those Alaskan shows that are on TV that were, you're from Alaska. You're kind of like rolling your eyes a little bit on some of them. Like, come on. But we just started messing around, like how to build a fire, how to just do stuff, uh, how to live off the grid. And if you can, if you catch it, you know, most people are shocked that, wow, we didn't know that was your personality, but if you truly know me, that's, that's just, I mean, that's, that's an, that's a normal day. I mean, it's just messing with, uh, messing with friends and it, it took off and, uh, yeah, we kept going with it. And, um, yeah, it's on, you know, on the verge of getting picked up, but it, it was just, it was all in fun trying to make people laugh and, um, you know, it led to something. 
It's addicting as well. I have to admit, uh, jamming, uh, jamming Yams has a little bit of a Dylan vibe to it for me. So many great episodes. I have to tell you, one of them, though, is a little creepy for me. The one when you're in the He-Man costume. I, I don't know what that was about. But there well, also... Means you, have, you have no personality, and you're probably <laughs> younger, because we went to the... We're doing a Halloween episode, and uh, you know, I was a big He-Man guy. At the, as a kid, I saw this suit, and I'm like... Oh my God, I'm, you know, and next thing you know, I'm kind of getting into character there, but the camera guy even agreed too. He, he didn't get it. And I'm like, trust me, my buddies that grew up in He-Man, like He-Man giving orders, I'm a Mexican He-Man. I mean, you don't see that one. You don't see that every day. So no, it was, uh, that one was, I thought it was funny. But, but that's just it. There are definitely some inside jokes. Like you mentioned Valley on the bus and like for the life of me, when you're sitting down with the guitar and I look over your shoulder, I'm saying, why the hell is there an 8x10 of Steve Valaket on your refrigerator? I even texted Valley. I said, uh, do you know about this? Like, so why is Valley on your fridge? Well, no, it, it basically was because um, all the boys started, like, watching and falling and laughing. So I just got a kick out of, like, you know, if you watch all of them that are in the kitchen, every episode has got a different face on them. Yeah. Like, damn, <laughs> yeah. So it just, so, you know, it's not like you got to watch me, but, you know, like, there's a couple where Rafi Torres, his eyes are just, he's got that Rafi look where people are just like, you know, what the hell? It's just hey, you know, it's like being in a locker room again, just trying to make the boys laugh. And uh, you know, a lot of the, a lot of my close friends that that are you know watch it, it's just like you know, what the goal? My face was behind you. I'm like, yeah, you didn't like that, you know. Just so yeah, it was uh, just all good fun. And uh, hey, you know, I was always a team guy, and uh, you know, just uh, I, why can't I, why not have everyone have some fun? Because so so if you see your face up there, you know that uh, it was a good friend of mine, our teammate. Awesome. Where can people find the show? Uh, it's on Instagram. Well, they, the, the Scotty's house episodes go on to, uh, on YouTube, it's just, uh, uh, Scotty's house. And then the Instagram is a uh, Scotty C Gomez. And there's a, uh, like the one where I, you know, I'm dressing up as Hugh Hefner and telling stories with, with other teammates and those guys. I mean, all the boys just love that. I mean, it, it, you know, cause there's, it's not just me. I mean, there were so many, uh, you know, from the old time guys, I mean, there's so many stories that are just comical what happened to us and what we saw and, and people, you know, I think the fans truly, truly like hearing them. I mean, truly like uh, hearing what it was about. And, and you can see the banner with, with the guys and, uh, and we are dressed in those, those outfits. So I think, uh, you know, I think people have all have, have had fun with it. And I know the guys that have been on them, they, they love it. I mean, they love the concept. And uh, as long as they, as long as the, as long as my peers and everyone thinks it's okay, it's, uh, it's all good. Yeah, it's definitely, it's a fun watch. Scotty, thanks so much for your time tonight. Really appreciate it. Even more importantly, thanks for always playing the game the right way with intensity and just the way you, you know, held yourself over those 16 NHL seasons. Um, just definitely a role model and uh, Ranger fan here and loved your two years on Broadway as well. So thanks so much. All right, man. Thank you. Anytime, guys. Have you got one. it. The one and only two-time Stanley Cup champ, Scotty Gomez. 